wouldn't it be nice if we could pick and choose what belongs in our biblical canon based on what each one of us believes at any given moment? We could each have our own individual Bibles, the Bible of me, stocked only with those things that make us feel all warm and fuzzy inside, those things that agree with what we believe God says or does or looks like. We can't. 16th century theologian Martin Luther did not like the epistle of James. He famously called it an epistle of straw. While he never actually discarded it, he did call for its expulsion from the canon. Luther's dislike was based largely on his fundamental disagreement with one line from last week's selection from James. James 2.24, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Luther believed all of us, and especially about himself, to be sinners to the core, understanding that there is nothing, no thing, that we can do to earn God's grace. There is no action we can take to earn God's love. Luther saw the epistle of James standing in direct contrast to the writings of St. Paul, who offers to us in Galatians that a person is justified not by works of law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Over the ages, most interpreters, clergy, lay, otherwise, have come to disagree with Luther's estimation of James. Works righteousness, that is, believing that we can earn our place in the kingdom through our actions, really has no place in the Christian schema. But James isn't arguing for works righteousness. But nor does he believe that a Christian life can be lived without action. There's a good reason that James maintains an important position in our canon. James is a powerful witness to the moral imperative of Christian identity. If you've been paying attention to anything I have said over the last few years, you will not be surprised when I tell you that I like James. I like James quite a bit. James is the lone wisdom book in the New Testament. The Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, has several of these. Proverbs, Psalms, Song of Solomon, to name a few. The wisdom books are, as their name implies, notable for their social commentary and their instruction on how to live an upstanding life. Out of 108 verses in James, 59 of them are imperatives, direct instruction to the reader. James was a great observer of humanity. He was a commentator and teacher and theologian. He had good ideas for how and why we behave the way we do and also about what we should be doing differently. But James stands apart from the wisdom literature of the Hebrew Bible in its concern with morals rather than manners. While the more ancient Hebrew texts aim for success and honor through finding and maintaining one's place in the world, James instead focuses more on leaving the world behind, through full transformation of moral attitude and right behavior. 
So you can see how Luther might have gotten confused. James focuses a lot on how we should comport ourselves, how we are to act as Christians in a secular world. James spills a lot of ink over how to behave. From the care for widows and orphans we heard about a few weeks ago to controlling the wayward tongue that we hear about today, he seems to posit that it is through discipline, self-control, and giving of ourselves that we will earn or lose our place in the heart of God. But James doesn't actually argue for works righteousness, that what we would do would earn us a place with God. Nor does he believe that it is some kind of combination of, of works and faith together that make us righteous. What James is arguing in the whole of this short epistle is that a life lived in faith will be a life of good work, naturally. There's no real need, in James's estimation, to even discuss them separately, because action is the obvious result of a life of faith. That is to say, James is not telling us that we must go out and do good things in order to show God how great we really are. James is telling us that we first need to dig deep. We need to examine our souls to pull ourselves up and out of the muck of this world and into the light of faith a faith given to us freely by a God who loves us through and through. That part alone is difficult. To go through the painful, ongoing, never-ending process of self-examination and then to find ourselves coming up short and then to offer ourselves, our souls and bodies back to God, flawed, but faithful creatures. We must trust that the grace that we have been promised really is there. That is faith. And when we have done that, the natural response of our hearts will be to share that grace, share it by loving our neighbors, by feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, housing the homeless, comforting the sorrowful. We will not go into the world with something to prove. We will go into the world with something to give. These things will not make us make God love us anymore. It's just not possible. But James teaches that our actions as people of faith will be as natural as breathing. That once we are individually and as a whole community, People freed by faith, we will move mountains. Mountains of poverty, mountains of hate, mountains of ignorance, mountains of disease. Because we are so compelled by our gratefulness. James is intentional about pointing out to us the many places that we as a community can participate in loving and feeding, and clothing. But he's equally concerned with the ways that we fall short of being the good and holy people God created us to be. We get bogged down with the concerns of this insignificant world, 
and in particular concern by example in today's selection, we do not control our tongues, forgetting that it's not only weapons that can maim, but our language as well. Again, this is a disciple concerned with the moral imperative of all Christendom, to love God, to love neighbor as ourselves. These are not easy. But this is the exceedingly high standard that James calls us into. It's a standard James knows we can achieve. It is the standard to which we, as Christians in community, must hold one another. Amen.